1: Welcome to the ID10T Podcast number 979, and welcome to 2019! Did you make a lot of resolutions that you're already going to break? Uh, My resolution is, uh, no more dumb voices. I already broke it. Damn it. Fail. Um, You can send any events that you have or things that you just want to promote that you made to events at id10t.com, like Brendan, who said, I have a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition community in the Puget Sound area of Washington State. We have three events a month and are currently about 200 members. We get together for socials, one-shots, help people connect, and we just launched our own podcast. I've been a fan of uh, the show for years, and encouraging uh, your fans to go out and make something was a big part of our inspiration to make something for others out of the things we love. Good job. So if you're in our area, please consider joining our Facebook group and coming out to events or looking up our podcast, Sound Gaming. Oh, that is nice. Ah. Because he's in Puget Sound and gaming. I, I'm not even being sarcastic, Brendan. You rolled a natural 20 on that one, my friend. Uh, Thor writes, I would love it if you could let everyone know about my partner's amazing books and artwork. Her name is Birgitta Sif." and she makes picture books with a message. Her debut book is called Oliver and it's won many awards because of the subtle message that it's okay to be different. I thought this book is so relevant to anyone that ever feels different or left out. I've often felt that way and I can imagine a lot of your listeners have had the same feelings. I believe this book will help anyone that has had these feelings. Kids, teenagers and adults. Her most recent book just came out in November and it's called The Tall Man and the Small Mouse, a beautiful story she illustrated about working together. You can find all her books on Amazon by searching Gita Sif and her name is spelled B I R G I T T A and S I F. Uh, all right again events at id10t.com if you've got some stuff and business you want me to uh want me to to mention but the business of the day is Mr. Ron Funches who is uh one of my favorite comedians and just one of the best people and Ron Ron is someone I've known for a very long time. I think Ron might have been in the very first, when we did that, uh, when we did that uh, stand-up cluster, the very first stand-up cluster. I think Ron was in that, when was that, 2011 or something? Um, but uh, I adore him. And, you know, we we end up kind of dovetailing into a lot of At Midnight talk on this episode. Because, uh, you know, Ron was kind of the king of At midnight. But I realized after the podcast, like, I don't know if Ron and I ever sat down and had this in depth of a conversation before. And I'm ashamed of myself and sorry that we hadn't because he's so insightful and so inspiringly and sincerely positive. I, 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 honestly, he has a new podcast that you should listen to. Uh, it's called Getting Better. And he's really exploring a lot of the ideas about, like, how to get better, how to improve, how to be more comfortable with yourself. And uh, I- I'm just so excited for him, and I'm so proud of all the cool things that he's doing. Um, first and foremost, you should absolutely watch his comedy special, Giggle Fit. It is airing on Comedy Central Friday, January 4th at 11 p.m. And uh, a- and go to his tour page on RonFunches.com. And definitely see him live if you get the opportunity. But I support all things Ron Funches. He is hilarious and kind. And I guarantee that by the end of this episode, your day will have been made at least a little bit better. If not infinitely more. um, Thanks to the ID10T episode number 979 with Mr. Ronald Funches. Who is the owner of all the points. What are you talking about? Are you talking about Mario Maker? Uh, Smash Brothers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you and I are friends on uh, Nintendo, Mm -hmm. and I see you sometimes late at night playing Smash Brothers. I've been playing Diablo 3. Yeah, you, I mean, it seemed like you were playing Zelda forever. I played Zelda probably, it was somewhere between two and 300 hours, Yeah, and I didn't even play the DLC, Mm. because I just, at a certain point, I just felt like... All right, I don't know if I could. do. You ever have that experience where you play a game so much and then it more comes out, and you just feel like I don't know if I can yeah. go through. And I loved it; it was one of my favorite games. Yeah, ever. I wish I had made that decision with Spider-Man because <laughs> I played the DLC
0: and I was like, "Oh, yeah, no, I've had,
1: a, I've had enough." Turns out, I'm full. <laughs> I'm just waiting. There's, you know, I finally have. Uh, I love the Switch so much, but there's still so many games that I just wish. And I know we'll never probably port over to that, mm. but uh, I wish they would make Bioshock on mm. Switch so I could take it around with me. Everywhere. That would be great. I think that it seems possible. It seems. I mean, it's not. Well, they just did. The, they just did the reissues. Like they just did a remastered version of Bioshock, mm-hmm. and I'll play it on Xbox. That's fine, but. Uh, you know, the portability is really hard to beat. Oh, especially when you travel so much. Yes. You know, it's one of my best things
0: about having I, I thought they were, you know, you see a commercial and you're like, okay, sure, this is the best case scenario. And then I bought my Switch and I was like, I am that commercial. <laughs> I am taking it everywhere. I'm popping it. As soon as I get home, I pop it on the TV. It's
1: like, it's a great machine. It's basically the platform that I think people wanted to, from the time there were home video games, like, oh, I wish I could take – you know. Yeah. Uh, Especially when they – when game systems branched off to mobile and – they are like, oh, but this has a limited version of what you can yeah. play on the console. That's a limited version of what you can play in, in the, the arcade. arcade yeah. And now everything's just everything. And uh, so it's a it's a good time. It's a good it's a, it's a good time for our kind who, yeah. who Like, <laughs> <who> <laughs> like the video. a rare, a rare good time. <laughs> let's enjoy. Let's en- let's enjoy this time before our kind dismantles and uh uh it gets too cool.
0: I mean, ninjas already on on um. Late on late night shows and doing stuff like that.
1: yep, How are you, by the way? Thank you for asking. I'm t- <laughs> <laughs> I miss your face. I miss your giggle. I, I miss.
0: Know, I was this thing. I was like, oh, I haven't seen you in a long time. It's good to see you. Nice first to see of you law. too. Uh, I'm doing very well good I am very busy I'm getting a surgery tomorrow to um clean up some skin and stuff from the weight loss because as I've been saying I'm like I'm hairy healthy but underneath my shirt I'm like a lava lamp which <laughs> 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 is lean one way or another things move and um, so I'm getting a surgery tomorrow which I was a little bit apprehensive about and and part of me felt kind of down about where I was like, Oh man, you, you know, you let yourself get so heavy at some point that now you can't fix some of these things just by working out. You have to go get a surgery to do it. And, but then I was like, it's an accomplishment things I'm doing. And now I'm like, I just want to lay down and rest. So (laughs) (laughs)
1: now you're going to get that because of the holidays, but it's a good, you know, like you, you know, uh, and again, I always, you know, when people talk about their weight, I say like, whatever weight you are that isn't what defines you it's like what choices are you making and if you are you making healthy choices and are you comfortable with yourself mm-hmm. and that's the important thing and and if you're making healthier choices Yes, the surgery is probably a huge pain, and it you know probably triggers some stuff for you. But just know that it's the result of this accomplishment of you making healthier choices and living a, a better life. Because the world needs Ron Funches on it as long as possible. <laughs> if you if you could just if you could somehow be a Futurama head in the jar a thousand years from now, that is. <laughs> That's necessary, <laughs> I think. The world needs you, Ron Funches. Why? Because you're because you're a hilarious and B, you just make people happy. Like people Aww. love people. You, you were the first contestant on At Midnight that when right after the show kind of popped. When I would go tour and I would ask people like, who do they love on the show? You were the sort of runaway fan favorite on, on the show because you just like the second you come on screen, you just make people happy. Aww. You smile and you're fucking funny on top of that. So it's not just you're not just charming. There's like the charming is wrapped in a layer of like legitimate comedy. So people people really enjoy you
0: my mom said that but i thought she just had to my she mom, did but it also happens to be true yeah she was like you just come on the screen and you pop and i'm like yeah you're gonna say
1: that <laughs> well i was not performing for a lot of your mom in the audience these were, these, were un- these people actually paid to express their opinion by being at the show so just so you know
0: no i take it and i appreciate it i i I feel very happy about that. I think it's a thing that kind of comes up in also my relationships where women have told me, like, if you if I didn't look you in the eyes and know you were genuine, you would be the most schmarmy like, <laughs> dude in the world. Like, I, there's no way I would believe you because you're, like, you, I'm very romantic. I like you like leaving notes. I like to think, and they're just, like... The only way this works is because I can look you in the eyes and you're genuine. I right. I think that's what people like on my comedy. And sometimes, um, when people who don't like my comedy who don't know me, they they there is because they think it's an act. Right. Know? They think I'm putting on airs or trying to to put on a character. And I'm just like, no, this is this is me. I'm turned up, but this is me. It's know? the
1: purest. If 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 someone if science could uh, distill your essence down into a liquid that would basically be your on stage persona like the most concentrated funkies yeah
0: i mean <laughs> you could really get on not the street caring about what people think or, or and just flying i guess
1: yeah. yeah what and you started in chicago chicago and so what what was the path to you getting so comfortable cuz i love one of my favorite things about watching comics is watching them just be so comfortable on stage and mm-hmm. so authentic on stage, even if they're, even if they're care, even if they're, even if they're kind of doing a heightened version or, or a little bit of a character, mm-hmm. but just that, um, that level of, uh, I can do and say anything on stage and it's gonna work because I'm I'm comfortable with who I am and my relationship to the audience. Was it? Did you always feel that, or would would did you have to hone that over? I mean, of course not. That would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> would be like, I'm really bombing out there, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was there was there a bomb period for? Oh, for sure. I mean, sometimes there still is. It's about people getting to know me and, and I myself. I know about myself. It takes me a while to get comfortable, uh, and and sometimes I, I need to, like, quicken it up. Or I, and I've been learning to do that and just tell myself to get comfortable now because people would... Like, shows I'd work on, things like that, and, and people would be like, oh... I would be so shy and just. I'm be on time. I don't want to, anyone about, to be thinking that I'm holding up the works or doing anything. And I would not be myself. And then eventually, I like when I relax and I'm talking shit all the time and I'm just having fun. They're like, "Oh, you're hilarious!" Like, right? You know. And um it took. um I'm into comedy misconception I started in Chicago. I, I started comedy in, in Portland, Oregon. I was raised in Chicago, but that is kind of where it comes from, is that I, moving from Chicago to Oregon and um, as a teenager and, and moving from a predominantly black area to a very predominantly white area and, and just seeing that things that were cool in, in Chicago weren't cool in Oregon and, and things that are cool in Oregon would get me beat up in Chicago <laughs> and, and just... It really honed and also, um, my mom was in like a, a bad relationship and I was moving in with my dad. And a lot of times of just being like, Oh, I just have to really be happy with me and who I am because I'm kind of all I got, you know, like, so I have to really enjoy what I enjoy and just. So I'd never been the person who's like, Oh, I love wrestling. Oh, you don't like, oh, I don't like it. You know, you know, I'm yeah. always like, if you don't, oh, fine. I don't care what you like. I care about what I like, you know, and that's what I molded my comedy around was just talking about what I like and talking about what interests me. And it takes sometimes. I, I had a time period where I would know I would go and do these sets and I could feel the audience reaction and it would be like the first minute they would hear me and hear my voice and especially when I was larger uh, they'd just go oh and either two minutes in they'd go okay or they'd go Mm-mm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. no hey no <laughs> yeah but I you know I, I often think and obviously there, there's a lot more nuance than this and there are a lot more subsets than this but I think Comedians, I think, can kind of be divided into two types, and there is some crossover, but it's there are comics who relate to the audience, and then there are comics that are so much themselves or a character that they are able to get the audience to relate to them. Mm. And that's a whole different magic trick. And they're both – I'm not saying one's better than the other, but they're just different. Uh, I, I, do think, I do think it's harder to get the audience to relate to you because respectfully people are selfish and they don't want to have to go out they don't want to have to think outside their own mm-hmm. they don't want to have to think outside the bun <laughs> and, uh, and so getting an audience like it's easy to get to easier to get to an audience by saying like here's a bunch of things you already know and like and I'm yeah. going to fuck around in yeah. that world versus you know having to set up your character and who you are and get the audience to not only accept and like that, but then to come along and then laugh at things that don't necessarily involve them directly. Mm -hmm. So that's a real feat. I mean, was that ever a conscious decision on your part or was it just naturally how you evolved? It it was more naturally. And then when I became aware
0: of how it um, separated me and, 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 when I would do sets and I, you know, because you, you all the time, I think um Eliza Schlesinger said this and everybody got really mad <laughs> when she said like 80% of female comedians talk about the same thing. And I understood why people got mad. It's because she put in the word female. Like if you said 80% of comedians say the same thing, I would have been like, I totally heartily agree with you. Because mm-hmm. um, you go out there and you, if you just want to, it's like, it's, go into an open mic or go into like a... um Showcase sometimes can be similar to just being on Twitter. You're like, you can go in and you can see what everybody's been thinking about and talking about. And you see the, um, the type of, uh, patterns that build up. And I was very much in, that was the comedians I liked were more insular and were more about inviting you into their world. And, and, and they didn't necessarily care about the worlds going on around them. And, not only that, just that's just me as a person. I don't watch the news. I, right. don't, I don't know what's going on. So I can't tell you what's going on. That's
1: probably why you seem happy all the time. <laughs> hmm <laughs> Yeah, ignorance is bliss. Well, I mean, you're not, you're not basically poisoning yourself with the toxic news cycle that's depressing to look at every day. Yeah,
0: it's a big thing I often think about. Um, I just wish more people would admit that they get off on it. Yeah. That that's what their addiction is because they want to be mad. They want to start their day off going, Oh, what the fuck did he do today? Right. You know, and I'm giving someone else power over me by me going, like, the world sucks right now. Like, I don't have control of my personal life and how I, um, how I can be a positive influence to those around me.
1: Yeah. And I also think that, uh, a comedy, like, comedy is so, Necessary right now for people, escapism, and you know, and I haven't seen your special yet, but I'm because it doesn't come out till January. Yeah, you could, I mean, mostly everyone has. Can you, can you, will you send it, it to send me? It to I would love oh, to see it, please. I would really love to see it because, sure. uh, I don't know, I miss, I mean, I don't miss the schedule of At Midnight, but I miss the. I miss everything else about it. Mm-hmm. And uh but that ele- the election night special we did with you and um PFT and, Yeah, with Paul Tompkins and and uh, Kirkman, right? And I think it was Kirkman, yeah. Um where we were live live. Um that was really fun. Yeah. Uh, cuz it, it just felt it had an energy that sort of felt like we were performing rather than shooting a television show mm-hmm. cuz there was like we don't know what's happening. Live, live, live or die. Sketches like, are changing. Yeah. I remember you guys
0: had your like your your Trump concession sketch, and, <laughs> and then they were like, "We're cutting it."
1: <laughs> yeah, it turns out uh, it's uh, not gonna. It's going the other way. Oh, we didn't make one for that. <laughs> we got to cobble this together real fast. But uh, I don't know. So so that's that's really one of the things that I miss because I love. The thing that I love about comedy is really the kind of community of it and the camaraderie of it and you know watching everyone develop their superpowers mm-hmm. and like get to the next level and the next level and the next level and then watching the world discover what you already knew which is these people are really funny mm-hmm. and now the world knows it and that's really that was always really fun to be a part of.
0: Yeah, I mean I love
1: I try not to ever feel
0: like a sense of loss or or feel like, oh, I wish I could go back to those times. I'm just, I try to be grateful in that moment and especially when when i'm aware it's a special thing and and i became aware pretty quickly when yeah because it it was filling up my club rooms and Mm -hmm. things like that and i'm just like wow this is a big deal and it was just really fun and i was good at it so it was made me really happy and it still has like the best television moment that i've been a part of was the fact that i got to be on tv with my mom and my mom was funny yeah you know and that made me so happy and there's nothing there's nothing to me that can beat that
1: Oh, that's really sweet to hear because, you know, of course I follow you on Instagram, so I see – did you just – was Steve Austin just on your Instagram feed? Yeah. So you're meeting a lot of your heroes, and so it's really sweet to hear you say like your favorite TV moment was with your mom on that Mother's Day show that we did. Yeah, it
0: means a lot to me because my mom is who I get a lot of my humor from, and and to see her go out there and – Not only be funny, but also she got to watch the work that goes into it, you know. And so she saw that like, oh, it's not just him coming up with it on the fly. He's in the room. He's going over this and that, changing this. Yeah. And then when we had to shoot this, the for the wind sketch, um, my mom was. I, I would give her ideas, and she would just go, "Well, you know what you're doing." So I will do whatever you ask me to do. Yeah. And and to have her give me that type of respect and be like, "This is." This is your domain, and I'm happy to do whatever you tell me in your domain. It meant a lot to me. Like at that time, I'm like, this makes me very happy now. And then years from now, I'll watch it
1: again and be very sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no.
0: laughs>
1: but we're not gonna focus on that. No. <laughs> that's for another time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you know, the show. I even though. Uh, cause people would say like, well, do people prepare stuff? And I, on, on at midnight and I'd say, yeah, they prepare a little bit, but you guys weren't given that much time yeah, to, it was like, you know, cause we were coming up with stuff in the morning and then you guys were getting there an hour, hour and a half before the show and then working on stuff then and it's like, yeah, because you know, they're performers and we want the funniest, best show. But to me, the, the thing that really worked for the show is that people would sort of come on. There were a handful of things that people could come in and kind of re- prepare for. But when the show worked in its perfect form, everyone felt comfortable because they knew they had stuff if they needed it. Yeah. And, and there was an incredible amount of riffing on the show that and, – and that to me was where it worked the best where it's like the, the, the stuff that was prepared an hour before and the riffs were like – toe-to-toe, and everyone was really working in concert. The show really worked the best when everyone knew each other. And the longer we did the show, the more comedians got to know each other on the show. And the only time it didn't really work was when the three comedians didn't really know each other, and they all played it like it was a real game show, and they were all in their own lane, and there wasn't camaraderie. But At Midnight really was a team sport in my my mind. Yeah,
0: to me... um... I love the competition of it and that was fun and sometimes I get very competitive. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But especially when I was winning a bunch it came a point where I'm like, I started looking at it more like wrestling where I was like oh, it's a it's better if Marcella beats me. I'm not going to let her beat me. But if she beats me, that's actually better for me what a great story you know yeah and and the more i looked at it like that and it it was really fun and like you said i never had more fun than when it was like you know someone like me and paul or Dalia, where i knew them and i could mess with them and play with them and just joke off of their joke and if like you said if i needed to go to my prepared i could but nothing more fun than coming off something off the cuff and in it killing
1: yeah and 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 you know Sometimes, you know, there were people who needed to do a show to kind of get the vibe of it and then they'd come back and kill. But then there were other people like you or like Marcella Arguello was another person who like right off the bat was like the first time she ever opened her mouth on the show she was killing. Yeah. And she crushed every time she well, was on. Well, that's not
0: necessarily true for me because I did the um, I did the test show. And I didn't know what it was. Well, I that didn't wasn't know what your I did. The test show. wasn't your fault. <laughs> but I lost the Bronger, and I was like, never again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I get this now. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the I found that when if if the show didn't work for a particular comedian, it, it's you had to be willing to play the game. And if someone came in and they were above the game mm-hmm. or trying to comment on that it was dumb in some way or be or like be outside of it then it never worked so some of the counterculture comedians had a tough time or or, you know a success if if they wanted to be counter then then they were very successful in that way but i really feel like you had to really be open to to playing it and if you could then it was going to be great because there were there was so much there was so much protection on the show it's like if you know for a show to not – to for a, for a show to bomb as a whole, it's sort of like a plane going down. Like seven things would have to go wrong. <laughs> it's like the questions were had to be not funny. The clips had to be not funny. Everyone had to be not on their game and not working together. The so audience is tired. The audience, yeah, it was – yeah, the audience was tired or didn't know what they were there to see. And so – and I felt like that was rare. It was a fun show to be a part of and watch live – which is not common for television, no. where things usually have to get chopped together. But if you if someone saw a live episode of At Midnight, usually it was fucking really fun, and we just kind of cut it. We just kept the best twenty one minutes. Yeah, and dirtier. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know that was always my fault. I always dragged it into the mud. I love it. It was the best. I just always knew that. Like, oh, if I can end
1: it by like, saying dick or something, I'm a win. <laughs> it's be, yeah, there was well. I realized like in the first – I don't know, in the first handful of shows we started doing, we didn't have audience warm up and I realized that was not – I realized that was a problem because we were all kind of wondering why everyone, including me in the beginning, was going super dirty, super fast, like super quick dick jokes. And then I realized, oh, it's because the audience isn't warmed up when we're starting the show and so we as survival mechanisms were going blue really fast just to try to get the audience's Classic attention. Road trick. Classic road trick. And so let's Having a, let's have someone come in and do warm up, you know. So Brody Stevens did warm up for the for the beginning chunk, and he did such an amazing job. And then, of course, you know, we had so many other great comedians come through and do warm up, so that the audience was warmed up and comfortable, so that the comedians didn't feel like we got to punch yeah. hard right out of the gate. Going out cold, yeah. We got we don't have to go out cold. Um. So what what have you been doing? What have you been doing since at midnight? And- <laughs> This well sort of the it? day it ends. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go every day. Well, is there, we have a podcast now? I getting have a podcast. better. Yes,
0: yeah, yes, called Getting Better. It's just about getting better at life and and whatever my guest is good at. So sometimes it's comedy, sometimes it's acting, sometimes it's professional wrestling. Um, whatever we talk about their journey and how they got to where they are, and it's most mostly like a funny self help thing, but we it's not preachy or anything. It's just for me, it's a lot of way for me to get to talk to a lot of people I look up to and admire and, and ask them the questions I just want to ask them because I, I feel that um, being mentored and, and, and looking at the people who came before you are just even people who are younger than me who just have really, really good skill sets. I like to learn from them. I like to pick up things from them. And, and the one thing I'm finding in is that a lot of people have in common that they like they set goals they they write things down they do these things and i want to um give that out to people so like when i was starting out comedy i w- i would have loved to have heard these things so i think sometimes as a culture we we um we separate we think talent is a thing that is given like as if someone not cultivated exactly as if someone is just born talented and they're chosen and that's, that's, Something I learned is the farthest from the truth. It's it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of um I think talent more as like a a source, like a a river or a body of water that you have to work to get closer to. Mm-hmm. And the more you do that, and that and that can be by doing more sets, or it can be in your personal life and and and, and getting your shit together, or stopping drinking, or things like that. You
1: hey. <laughs> hey, now you're in my yard.
0: Yeah, just the the growth that it comes, and I know just from. um my whole life from being you know being we're just stoner man child to being a single dad who has raised a kid with autism uh, by myself and all these things where like they help push me and guide me to a person where i'm at where i'm at and i just don't like it when people think like oh i could never get there and it's just like oh if if i could get here anyone can because there's no reason for me to be there i'm a community college dropout you know i'm uh, had a kid when i was 20 and it was obese and there's there's no reason that if i can do it that and I don't mean like everyone can be a great comedian, but like whatever your natural talents are, if you work towards those, you you usually are rewarded.
1: Yeah, I mean you get good at whatever you focus on, and that's positive or negative. And if you if you focus on negative all the time, you get really good at that, mm-hmm. and that becomes your world, and that begins to manifest. And obviously, there are things that happen that people can't control. So I'm not saying it's easy for everyone to do, and they, you know, but um, but. You know, if you watch, I think the 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 best illustration of what you're talking about is. I love to. W- I don't know why, but I have a thing about watching videos where people learn to play piano over the course of a year, because a year goes like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you watch like some guy or lady who's never played the piano before, and they go, "I'm just going to start playing every day for a year and see what happens." And you see them go from blah 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 to playing fucking concertos after a year, and you go. That's just, you know, a little bit of time and focus, a little bit of of effort each day compounds like interest. Mm -hmm. And after a year, they're exponentially better at something and they have have cultivated this skill that they didn't have before. And think about what you could do in your life if you just applied that little bit every day toward something and not, you know, a little bit every day of telling yourself that you're a piece of shit or you're (laughs) dumb or this is why bad things happen to you or, of course, this – you know, it's like – all that stuff whatever you focus on is what you get good at so why not try to take back a little bit of control and making those constructive things
0: i, I completely agree with you is one of the, of the things that i often think about is um, control personal control and believing that you are in charge of yourself and and sure like you said things will happen outside of your control but you are in you are in charge of how you react to things and what you do every day and what you put forth every day. And I had, I came from a bad mindset and thinking that I would never do anything. And it took me having my son and my son being diagnosed to me being like, I have to, I, I have to do something. I have to find a career. I have to be able to, um, uh, help him financially, maybe for the rest of his life. I don't know. So I had to really change my mindset and stop being about, woe is me and why why aren't things being handed to me and just be like, I have to go get it. Right. And, and like you said, as you talk about the piano thing and people, see, it's easier when you're watching the video because you're seeing that year go by in a few minutes. The hardest thing I think is for people to start because. You're bad when you start.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know? And it sucks to feel bad and it sucks to not be good at something. But, you know, especially for anyone who has ever played a video game, you know, you know, unless you're like a world-class gamer, whenever you start something, you got to learn which buttons do what, you got to learn combo moves, you got to learn what the quests are, you got to – but quickly over time and because it's fun – we don't even think about that process yeah. we just do it we're like oh i'll just figure it out so why couldn't why not why don't we not do that with life yeah when in video games that's part
0: of the thrill of it yeah is like i don't know i don't know what this is going to be like i don't know how to control this so that's fun so it should be the same in life you know and but
1: oftentimes we get um embarrassed well there's no stakes in the video game for, yeah. really yeah uh yeah. and in life there's you know our emotions are at stake our you know our social standing but that's all invented in our head exactly. i think it's not those aren't we, i think we impose a lot of limits on ourselves as protection you know because we don't want to be hurt we don't want to feel uncomfortable but you have to feel uncomfortable to get better at something yeah and gr- growth is uncomfortable that's why that's why they call growing pains growing pains yeah, yeah. exactly exactly
0: you you're not like oh that was That was delightful. (laughs) How is your son? How's he doing? He's doing amazing. He is 15 now. He is 15. I have one more year to figure out how to buy his Ashton Martin that I
1: promised him (laughs) when he was eight. Um, (laughs) I think it's not out of the question, actually. It's not
0: out of the question, but it's not currently feasible (laughs) (laughs) we gotta see how these months go and and, um but i mean he's the thing i'm most proud about and most happy about and i uh, bought my house last year which was a big big goal of mine and and for him i remember we moved in and he just walked in i thought he'd be like oh but he walked in, his chest puffed up. He walked around there like, "Yeah, this is fucking mine." <laughs> <laughs> and it made so if me, you die, I get this right. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it made, and it just made me feel really good that he felt comfortable and he felt like this is his and he walked around his pool and he was just like yeah and then um, we still hadn't moved all the way in, in yet so I was still moving stuff from my apartment and I tried to get him to come move stuff with me and he just go no I don't want to go back and I was just like I go would you rather live in this I go and then I just started messing with him and I was like well I feel like this is too much house for me <laughs> I, I want to go live in the apartment I go, do you want to live in the house
1: by yourself or do you want to come live wi-? by myself <laughs> 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 well, let me ask you this and again, you know, and and I and I hope this uh, I hope this doesn't come off weird to ask you this, but do you do you find that learning to communicate with your son who has autism has made you a better person for the world because it's forced you to slow down and be patient and listen and learn how to communicate and learn how to communicate well? Uh has, have have you has that helped your uh, other skills in the rest of your life?
0: Yeah, that's not a, I mean, that's a great question. It's not a bad question. Oh, w- wonderful question. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, nobody ever asked me that. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's formed my life in, in so many ways, comedically, definitely. Um, one of the earliest things my son taught me, and I think you can see it in my comedy, is like, I, I, you know, I tend to ramble on podcasts and stuff and that, but my comedy, I, I try to choose my words very carefully and Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't try to waste words. I try to use as few words as possible. And that's the thing that my, my son taught me very early is because A, I couldn't come at him and be like, well, what do you want to do this afternoon? Shall we go do this or shall we go do that? Mm -hmm. So it was like, you want to go to, um, park today? You know, things like that I'd have to say to him. And then so he really taught me a lot about words being overrated. (laughs) And <laughs> say what you mean get to the point yeah say what you mean get to the point point. And, and there had been sometimes with me and my son when he was younger where we, we could go the whole day i could make him dinner i could communicate with him hand him things do things we could go the whole day and never talk once and and, and that was really fun for me and taught me a lot and and overall it has taught me to be kinder and be be more um mindful and I think when I was younger, and I think just think as a teen or whatever, I was, you know, I would have been quick to like toss around the R word or, or, or I don't know, necessarily quick, but I wouldn't have. It wouldn't have offended me, right, to hear it. And now, now it does. And I, but also, I don't let that. Um, I understand that my path is different, Mm -hmm. and that if they had someone who had a disability in their family, they wouldn't talk like that, right. And so, is my goal then to? Part of my goal is to then represent that type of stuff. So a lot of times, if I'm in a club and and people have moved on from saying the R word and more just trying to throw around autistic as as a replacement, and so a lot of times, I'll if I'm on after someone who does that, I'll, just, I'll start off and just do my jokes about my son.
1: Oh and, wow!
0: And I'm like, oh, my son has autism. Nah, nah, that's a real person. Let me tell you about him. And, you know, and I try. And sometimes people afterwards, they I can tell that makes them think about it. Right. I'm never. I never go like fuck you. You're good. I just go, oh, you know that thing you're abstractly talking about because you have no frame of reference and no clue about it, and you're just throwing around the world because you've seen the same to use safe to use, and that no one's gonna challenge you on it. Guess what? Those
1: are real people, <laughs> and I'm gonna challenge you on it. Exactly.
0: And at the end of the day, we can still go get uh, something to drink or eat, and I'll be friends with you. But I hope you think about it. It does. Um, I can't say that I don't judge people. I certainly do. If I meet you in the first few minutes you're just throwing around our words or saying stuff like that i just go oh okay you're not you're not for me right you know and and um i just think yeah it made me kinder made me um thought more thoughtful and i think that's fun in my comedy and i like to use it in my comedy and and i think that in a world where usually we kind of go for the opposite of that of being more callous nothing can hurt me Mm -hmm. thing like that i think that helps separate me.
1: Which is funny because the truth of the matter is I think for most comedians, everything can hurt you. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have this defense mechanism mm-hmm. because we're trying to not – because we're sensitive, sensitive AF. Yeah. and uh, And so we're trying to seem so bulletproof on stage – because we're terrified inside or feel yeah. terrible about it. You well, I like...
0: seems to have been a, a male a male thing overall lately. Because I on Twitter, I get into some battles or stuff, and then I can tell. I like. You know, because I'm good at talking shit. So, like, oh, I hurt your feelings. I knew I just hurt your feelings <laughs> from the way you responded. And then, and then, all right, I go, oh, I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings. <laughs> and then yeah. they go, and then they, nine times out of ten, we're like, I don't got no feelings. It's
1: just, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, okay. All right. Okay, have you don't feelings. have feelings. No, who okay. hurt you, sir? Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't be responding to this at all if that were the case. Yes. You just wouldn't be engaged. Exactly. If that were, if that were the case.
0: But... You can't hurt me. It's like, it's people who say, That are usually oh you're already hurt yeah you're the most hurt you're the most cowardly you're like you you're shutting down you got hurt so much right 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 to me true strength is allowing yourself to be hurt and then going you didn't change me right I'm still I'm still nice yeah I'm still going to be sweet to people fuck you
1: yeah and I also think the uh, the other side I think of true strength is. If you can rip into someone and tear them down, and you don't, yeah. If you, I feel like not—it's not eviscerating people that makes you strong. It's wanting to eviscerate people and not doing it because you know that it's not going to do yeah. anything. It's not going to do anything constructive, yeah, and helpful. so you restrain, Restraint to strength, unless they need it. <laughs> sometimes sometimes people they need do. It. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you're at a show. There's one heckler that won't stop, and you, you do. You, you kind of gotta. You right, go. Look, you gotta this like is go what you, you wanted. This is what you asked for. I'm gonna give you what you asked for. <laughs> these are the seeds you planted. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna harvest them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna harvest the seeds that you planted. You're not gonna like the taste of these plants. Not at all. <laughs> but you you're gonna the call the club later. <laughs> <laughs> don't complain about shit burgers when you brought turds to the barbecue (laughs) in the first place i wanted shit hot dogs (laughs) you brought turd burgers that's what you're gonna eat you know don't bring that this time but it's also really interesting that you had you know like not there are not a lot of comedians who at 20 years old had to learn empathy um because You know, so many of us were allowed to be, like, selfish and not worry about stuff and saying whatever and doing whatever and not really thinking about anybody else. It's like stand-up allows you to be very selfish. Mm -hmm. And some of that is to your benefit because you really are in control of everything except for, you know, you can't control how many people come to your shows. But you're pretty much in control of everything else. And so – you're sort of conditioned to just be all about yourself. But, you know, here you are in the situation where at 20, you have a son with special needs and you, you, you know, you can't, you can't be that way. And I think that's, um, I think that's an incredible gift because it helped mold you into the person that you are now. And at 35, Mm -hmm. I would say, you you know, you, you, you have more life experience and wisdom than most, than most comedians do at 35. Yeah, I mean, that's what my mom tells me. She's like, she's like, you learned...
0: She's like, there's things I didn't learn until I was 50. Yeah. That you knew at 20. Yeah. And and I take that as a compliment. And sometimes I feel bad. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons I'm so childish in general, where I buy a lot of wrestling action figures and do things, because there's a lot of... I didn't... I never... Because like you said, I didn't have that time to be selfish. I didn't have that time to be a shitty person. I went from... <laughs> like my mom was in like an abusive relationship and I was kinda like save the saving guy there and then I went and had my own relationship and then that fell apart and then I had my son. So I was always looking after someone. And it took um until now where my son's fifteen and he's kinda doing his own thing most of the time and I'm like, oh I'm kind of like a teenager now. Right. Like, you know, I just do what I want. I go on little trips. I smoke a lot of pot. <laughs> <laughs> I work out all the time. I'm just like having a fun high school life right now. Right. And it makes me feel really good because I have learned those things and I am more mature about it. And, and overall for my comedy, I think it's one of the things that makes me successful. I talked about it with my girlfriend or with my, with my friend Gabe, who I write with, where I just go like, if you take my son out of the equation, I just sound like every other comic. <laughs> I'm just talking about comic books, video games, buds. I'm just talking about those things. But it's because you mix that with the heart from being a responsible person. If not, I'm just like, I'm just some shitty 30 year old man child, yeah. you know? But because you mix it with the guy who is also raising his child and has been doing that, you know, you know, now I have a nanny. Now I have things, but I didn't, you know, I was just there. I, I, um, that's the, things I love about my girlfriend now is that one of the first things she met me and she was just she was like I watch you I see you and she's like I just I want to let you know like I think because of you smoke so much pot and you and, and, and you're a black guy in this society some people are always like oh you're lazy and like and you're she's like you're the hardest working dude I've ever met like you because at the time I would you know, I'm I'm working on a t- TV show. I'm doing sets at a comedy store. I'm writing my own show. And all that is normal. And everybody's like, oh, cool, all right, whatever. You're done at 2 a.m. It's like, yeah, but I got to get up at 6 to get my son bacon and get him
1: on the school bus. Well, you know? that's, that's why I think what a true artist is, is that you don't see the work. You know, like people don't see the work. They just look and they go, oh, it's so seamless. It's like... Ah, well then the magic trick is working and yeah. the artistry is working because you don't see all this you don't see all the seams, you don't see all the ruffle. You just you just see this, you know, beautiful end result. And also, you know, I mean, what an incredible thing cuz you you don't complain ever. I've never heard you like complain about any of your responsibilities or anything you have to do or your life in any negative way and you know, I think if you did complain, people would be like, "Yeah, he's had a tough time," and you know, and you don't, and that's incredible. Like that is a fucking gift. That's a gift. That if you could bottle that and give that <laughs> to other people, you should. But I think that's
0: what these life lessons have taught me, and that's what makes it easier for me to deal with rejection, deal with um, you know, being passed over for for shows or passed... I mean, you know, I wanted to do my... I wanted my special on Netflix just like every other freaking comedian, you know? But they were like, "Mm, we see you as a half-hour comic. And I was like, I don't think that's correct. And Comedy Central was like, "We, we agree with you. We'll go with the hour. And I was like, well, none of that makes me mad. I'm just like, you know, my life could have been completely different. My life... I used to have a... You know, when my son was born and I was just doing open mics and stuff, like... There were times where I I ran a show in in Salem, and if if no one put money in that hat, I didn't know how I was going to come home with dinner, you know? And so that type of stress is way different than someone just being like, "Mm,
1: we don't see you as an hour comedian. (laughs) Well, first of all, they're wrong. You're a thousand percent an hour comedian. And also... You have an audience. Like, people know who you are and adore you. So that is kind of baffling to me.
0: It, it's a little baffling. <laughs> I, I
1: understand it overall with worldwide distribution and how some people it. respond to yeah, different ethnic it. it's backgrounds. It's wrong. It's fucking wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. It's just a yeah, wrong point of view. They are wrong. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, you – wait, who – did you have the most wins on At Midnight? It was between you and Doug. Me and Doug – Let me set the record straight. As I do anytime
0: anyone asks me at clubs. Doug has two more wins than I. He had been on the show 15 more times than I. Oh. So if you look at percentages, (laughs) you look at overalls, and you look at head-to-heads, where
1: I beat him 2-0. to Mm Mm-hmm. I'm the best. <laughs> <laughs> this is where the wrestling background really serves you. Mm-hmm. What's it called? What what's the what's the thing called in wrestling? The assumption, like the, that you buy into the you buy into the game of it all. It's kayfabe. The kayfabe. That's that that's part of. I always love that you brought that to at midnight as well. You made a belt for mm-hmm. yourself, which was uh, I hope you still have hanging up in my office. <laughs> 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 was there anything from your side from from a person who did the show a lot? Was there anything you would have done differently or anything, you know, any kind of constructive criticism or like I liked doing the show but I wish it were more of this or this or that?
0: No. Um No, I don't think it's my position to say that. No, I just I was just curious. I know you're saying that, but like, yeah, of course, I would have done it completely different. It would have been my show. <laughs> what do right, you right, what right. mean? Yeah, but Um, no, I think you did a great, great fucking job and you're, you're an amazing host, which is why you host so many things. Um, and and it showed that to me, that's what I really learned is, um, because sometimes Especially more then. I'm much more out of my shell now, but I was still pretty shy then. Sometimes I even remember doing a podcast with you when, when it was, um,
1: the undatable cast. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And even then it's like, it was a lot of us, but like, you know, I would probably speak the least, you know, because I just, just wasn't comfortable. I'm more, way more comfortable in one-on-ones than I am in group situations. Um, and it's just me getting better at myself. But what I learned, what I'm trying to get into my compliment is that. You're such a good host that even when I was super shy, even when I wouldn't jump in, sometimes I would just, you know, put a one finger up. You would always catch it. You would always catch it and you'd always go, "Ron, what do you got to say?" And and <laughs> I'd been on so many other shows where it was group scenarios or um in particular like Chelsea lately where they would come out in between things and they'd go, Get in
1: there. Get in there. Get in there. I'm not that guy. You had to fight over that steak. It was just like a bunch of, <laughs> yeah. of you know. Yeah. But I mean, I, I really I appreciate your, I, I really, that's very sweet of you to say. I really honestly wasn't fishing for you to say something nice about me. I was curious about the show. Like, was there anything, the experience of the show that you were like, oh, I wish it had been more this or no, that or whatever? It was
0: amazing. It was great. Only thing I never liked was when I lost to Rich Eisen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did not accept that.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Your friend's here? <laughs> See, this is this is what I like. I like seeing some of the wrestling really bleed into comedy because it's, you know, I, I think there were some shows like, you know, Last Comic Standing or other shows where it was more about, like, really making comedians compete. And that always felt sad to me because mm-hmm. I felt like that just brings out the not best side of everyone Mm -hmm. but I loved the playful competition where it's the undertone is like we're all on each other's side yeah. and so you can come in and playfully talk shit but not really want to like cut someone down you know it's like we're all comfortable and that makes us funnier as a group we're better as the sum of our parts
0: and it became a real badge of honor for me the more when like when I would come in and I'm just like going through this packet and I'm having fun I'm done and then I'm looking in other rooms and they are like we got to beat Ron. And <laughs>
1: yeah, but that was a real, you know, like it was a very, it was a badge of honor. If someone beat you, that was like a big, it was not, not just they won at midnight, but like I beat Ron Funches to win at midnight. I mean, it's like, you're the gladiator basically. You know? Yes, I'm turbo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was... <laughs> Uh, I was thinking Russell Crowe, but you went to American Gladiator. Oh, we talk about different things. <laughs> I love that you went American Gladiator. That was very revealing. Was very revealing about what's in your soul. I'm Turbo! <laughs> we know who your favorite gladiator was, we know what your, what his style was, we know where your brain is. <laughs> Have you you've done stuff with uh, with wrestling, haven't you? You've yeah. Done
0: stuff with WWE. Yeah, um, not necessarily with WWE, other than oh yeah, I mean some random talking head stuff with them. Uh, I was training to be a wrestler in the beginning of the year. I went to to a school in L.A. called Santino Brothers, which I recommend if you want to be a pro wrestler. Um, they're really really good, and, and I did that for a few months. I found out I'm not, I'm not good at it. <laughs> 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 I really found that good at it. There were a lot of things and they were I remember going to a class and they were like, uh, if you wanted to come help us set up the ring, that would be great. Um just in general, this is a big sacrifice, guys. If you really want to do this, you're gonna have to sacrifice a lot of things. You might want to get a part time job instead of a real full forty hour week job if this is what you really want to do. And I was like, Oh they're like, You gotta make a lot of sacrifices and I'm like <laughs> I already did this with one career Yeah, I don't want to do this again That was yeah. going well So I was like, oh, I can either uh, go set up the ring in, in the middle of Los Angeles Downtown somewhere Or I can go on a private jet with Conan See ya Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially because You know, listen As you approach 40 and get into your 40s Like falling down hurts Yeah, No matter how well trained you are it still hurts, and you know you see some of the guys who, <clears throat> you know, like some of the guys who like the old days of wrestling before they really started being mindful of that kind of thing, and their bodies are fucked up. Like they can't get around that well. Yeah. It's you know like they sacrifice their bodies for the art. Yeah,
0: even if you're good at it and real trained, you're gonna get hurt. Um, and so I knew I was gonna eventually get hurt for sure. And there's even people like like David Arquette who, who wrestles. He he's been actively. Wrestling in the community for... Like, he did, like, 10, 15 years ago, and now he's back. And, and he's already posting about how, like, he's, he's had three broken ribs. and
1: Yeah. I mean, if I'm at a point in my life where if I just turn my head too fast, that's, like, two weeks of recovery. <laughs> like, I don't... I don't need to... <laughs> Throw myself on the ground and have someone hit me with a chair, yeah. even if it's a breakaway chair. <laughs> I'm the breakaway chair now. <laughs> like I don't, need, I don't need to be hit with furniture to prove anything. Yeah, that's what I really
0: learned. I was like, oh, I'm happy to watch, and, and, <laughs> and if you want me to commentate, I'll do that. But yeah, I, but it was something because my whole life since I was five. I, If you were like, what do you want to be? It was either a a comedian or a pro
1: wrestler. So I was like, oh,
0: I'm good at comedy. Let me see if I'm good at this. No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think life is speaking volumes right now that comedy is working out. It's not like you need a fallback career of wrestling (laughs) to rescue you. From comedy not going well I mean it is going very well It's going pretty well How much do
0: you tour? Um, I tour a fair amount I'm touring a little bit less now Because I'm getting more acting And uh, I booked a movie So I'm excited what, about what, what movie are you doing? Can you say? It's, I don't I'm sure Who knows? <laughs> 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 it's currently called Lexi And, and um, it stars um, Adam Devine and Michael Pena Fantastic so, Yeah I mean I'm in there So I'm excited about that And, and and um, so, but other than that, usually I'm on the road um, two, two to three weekends of the month. Yeah.
1: Oh wow, that's that's good. That's a good amount, but it still keeps it still gets you home. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be a forty five week a year comedian. No,
0: no, I did like doing the more of the. Um, one night or i definitely i mean i want to put i did my first small theater tour um last year to prepare for the special and i really like that i like i like doing one show or two shows and then moving into a different city right i don't i mean clubs clubs are great i think clubs are a great way to when you want to do six sets in a week and do six hours and really sharpen things up you always got to go do clubs but um I just, I, mean, I think theaters are just fun. I want to do. Them.
1: Once you get the set to a certain place where it's presentational enough, then it's great. The, the the theaters are great, but they're not. Theaters are not a fun place to find your material. Yeah, <laughs> no, uh, yeah. It seems ever, rude. It, <laughs> well, not only that, but it's just it's it's just a different experience. Like the club experience is a little dirty. It's, it's grittier and it's more like you're in the audience mm-hmm. and you can fuck around with them. And it's more of like a, Oh, we're all kind of involved in this like secret thing. Yeah. You know, even I though think it's not usually secret. with
0: the clubs too, they kind of always are like, oh, he's working on this so that it could be on TV right. or something. Cause I oftentimes like I will, cause I, I always try to do something new or something and I'll do a bit and I'm like, and I'll end it and I go, well, huh? Almost
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and theater is like the presentation. Yeah, it's very presentational. Yeah.
0: Whereas if I let them in on the fact that oh, I'm I'm just I'm workshopping and and, and you guys are kind of just you're the test audience, right? Like the clubs, there everything. yeah, they're way more into that than a theater. Who's like I paid thirty five dollars,
1: and you're just riffing. You're working this out mm-hmm. now. Why mm-hmm. did I need to see this? Like,
0: I've seen some bad theater shows
1: though. well it's a different rhythm too because you in a theater you have to go a little bit slower because yeah there's more space yeah and it takes a half a second longer for the sound to hit the back of the room
0: yeah but i'm built for that yeah that's what really works for me so that's what i found from doing the conan tour i was like oh because i um, was talking to like lori kilmartin and and mo a bit and they were like oh do you have to move around more and i'm like actually i move around less I kind of plant myself a little bit more and still pace a little bit. Still try to, you know, go to this side of the theater, that side of the theater on occasion. But for the most part, I learned it from when I toured with Aziz because I tried to do it the other way then. I was like, oh, I'm going all over the place. But it really just changed who I was. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, that, again, like you said, bringing someone into you, when I can do that to like 2,000, 3,000 people, I'm like, fuck, I'm
1: getting good. Yeah.
0: Because they're all quiet right now.
1: And you were you were touring with Conan. Was Flula on that tour yeah. as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a fucking great lineup. Yeah, I like that guy. He's what what is Conan's stand up like? Is he doing stand up or is he telling stories or what's he do? A
0: mix. It's a mix of both. He comes out and does like twenty five minutes. Up top and then, then does like a Q and A afterwards. But it was really fun because sometimes, you know, his 25 would turn into like a 40 and mm-hmm. you're just like, wow, he's out there doing, doing stand ups. And, and you know, and it's a lot of stories about like, you know, he has some stories about Arnold Schwarzenegger and stuff like that. So it's not like things where you're like, he's not telling us, like I went to the laundromat, you know, right? right, <laughs> you know? right, right. But it's true to his life. And, um, the most amazing stuff to me is the Q and A's because I, he could, turn like a question that he got into this riff that would be better than most people's polished bits and i was just like wow like your a your intelligence and 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 your your creativity shows but your experience and and the amount of time you spent talking to people and on stage it really shows and it it, um was really inspiring
1: i would love to see him do that live because i know I mean, I, I I know what it feels like to do a daily show, but I don't know what it feels like to do the type of show that he did for almost thirty years. But it, you know, y- you are also a little bit at the mercy of um, when you're doing the talk. If he's doing the talk show, uh, especially when he moved the show to L.A., there was like a mile in between the the, the seats mm-hmm. and the audience, mm-hmm. and I I found sometimes that it was. That the audience was kind of losing some stuff because they were so far away and he's so masterful at grabbing a bit like Mm -hmm. repackaging it and throwing it back and like he's so good at the game of that. But I would love to see him just directly interacting with an audience because he's so funny and so fast. Yeah, it
0: was fun just watching him directly interact with like drivers or people like that where you're like, oh – He's just interviewing this driver now. Like he <laughs> he uses his skill set wherever he goes it, put, to put people at ease and make them feel happier to be around. You can really tell that that's important to him. That he likes people to be happy around him. And, and like just, to, just kind of piggyback on what you said, that's what I loved about being on his show and, and being a guest on his show is that if he won't let you bomb if you're not doing well, he will. Pick up his funny and and carry you. Mm -hmm. But if you are doing well, he is confident enough and, and
1: nice enough to just sit back and let you carry it. Well, also, that takes a tremendous amount of work off his plate. He probably loved when someone, you know, would come on and start killing because he didn't necessarily have to do as much heavy lifting. Yeah. And... <clears throat> you know, that job of ha- not knowing each day Like how much heavy lifting am I going to have to do How much tap dancing am I going to have to do How much riffing am I going to have to do You know, and so when I I think the the hosts love when comedians come on Because it just, it's a little bit of a break And also fun, and they get to connect with like-minded performers yeah,
0: if, if they are like-minded But, you know, there, I've been on a few talk shows where
1: it's as if they're like hey don't out funny me really mm-hmm. on occasion oh wow i never like i'm such a comedy fan like i don't have an ego about that stuff i always especially with that midnight i always felt like i don't care who has the funniest joke as long as the funniest joke gets out there mm-hmm. whether it's yeah, you I say think... it or someone else says it yeah. or you know or uh, wh- whoever or if natasha Legere. like i don't care who says it it just needs to be it just needs to come out somewhere.
0: Yeah. And yeah, cause that's smart because at the end of the day they're gonna go, It's your show. Yeah, I made this happen, you know? <laughs> and to me that's that's what being confident is wanting other people to succeed and I love that. Um and obviously I won't name names, but like just saying where you see you're like, Oh, like to me it just comes from a lack of confidence and a lack of uh belief in your own skill set that you're like, Oh, I'd rather I'd rather you be less funny so that I can just – people think I'm great. But the
1: collaboration is so great because you know, comedy voices are chemistry and you can be funny in one way on your own and another comic can be funny in another way on their own. But then when you come together, you form this whole new thing, Mm -hmm. this new comedy entity and then you start mixing a couple different people in there and then it's like – it's just this orchestra of something that's totally unique that's made up of each of you but – but its own thing. Yeah. Because you're all like, you know, Those you're all working together things. to make it better. That's
0: like my and my favorite types of movies when you go back and watch. Like I love one of my favorite um, movies when it, even when it first came out, one of my, my favorite movies was Hot Rod. Mm-hmm. And then when you go back now and you're like. Uh, everybody's in this you know Danny McBride's in it and, and, and Bill Hader's in it and they're not the leads they're just <laughs> hanging out killing it you go I've been drinking green tea all day you gonna bring the devil out of me uh, that's my favorite lines and it's just like that's what I love is a group of people who are all hilarious and then one person pops at one time and then they're the most famous and then another person pops and now they're famous and it's uh, but it's just all community and friendship. That's I mean that's what I love about comedy and love about getting older in comedy is that I'm able to see my friends really elevate and really and stick together and and go from like I met Emily Heller like years 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 ago just being a, working at rooftop comedy and she was just eating a banana in the most unsexy way I've ever seen. <laughs> 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 like she leaned it sideways, <laughs> and then now years, years, years later, and she's like one of the most sought after writers in Hollywood, and she's writing for Barry and getting nominated for all these awards, and, and that's just like one example of. Uh, Tons of friends I have who are doing that. And then I love now meeting these 25, 26-year-olds who – like Taylor Tomlinson or, or whatever and being like, fuck, you You are amazing. I better, I better get
1: to these theaters because I don't want to be hanging out with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny – and you're right. Emily Heller is hel- absolutely hilarious. And that's the other thing that I loved about doing the show was getting to see so many different – because I don't really go to a lot of local shows anymore – mainly, I mean, I hate to say out of laziness because it's like, oh, my God, I got to get in the car. and go I would never and leave this house. I'm going to go drive and, you know, go just to get up and do like 12 minutes and then get back in the car and drive home. It's like two hours. Yeah. Because you know, I'm going to tour anyway. So yeah. I'll, I'll get to where it's not like I'm not going to get the stage time. And but what I really miss is being able to. See funny people or discover new funny people, or you know, see people like Marcella or Emily, yeah. or uh, uh, or you know, just or if or if or if Bart Coleman booked a comic that I didn't know and I got to be surprised, I'm like, oh my god, where's this person? How did I not know? You yeah. know, like that, yeah, just as a comedy lover. That's what I... I really, really, really miss all that. Yeah. And I don't know how to recreate that. Well, you can go outside. No. No. (laughs) far too comfortable now. (laughs) Well, that's the thing about comedy is that it's like... It's not that it's necessarily a young person's game, but it's a hungry person's game. Absolutely. You need to be... You need to be hungry to do it all the time. And I'm just hungry enough to do it... (laughs) You know, but not, st- but not like, not like super hungry where I'm like, I gotta do it every night or I'm going to fucking die. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, no, I'll do it when I But I, can I love it.
0: that balance. You, you shouldn't have that. That's one of the things I, I, there's a desperation to that. And I've been in that case because it was really, really like, oh, if I don't get good at this, my son won't eat. But as far to me, that's, you have to have a balance in your life. Um, there had been this thing where I heard about a comic who had written on their walls, like, Comedy is all there is. There is nothing else. And then the the, the young comics who were telling me the story were like, "That's so cool. That's <laughs> the hardcore. That guy's the best." And I was just like, "That guy's a fucking
1: psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> it's not
0: healthy. That's not healthy. Replace the word comedy with anything else. Yeah, exactly. And tell me if you think that's healthy.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's compulsive. Yeah, yeah, and that's dangerous. Especially because, you know, if that's all you have. You can't again going back to what you said earlier. You can't control what happens in life. If for some reason that gets compromised in some way, or comedy like isn't there, you know, it's like we have to remember that we are not defined by our careers or by by that path. You know, we're defined by, you know, like who who we are and who who the people who are closest to us and what we contribute to the world, but not like. You know, like that's just that's scary. But I think that's a young person's thing. And then when you start to get a little older and a little wiser, and then you know, you start understanding balance a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know that you can do it in healthy ways and whatever. If someone's going to say like, "Well, you're not a comedian unless you're performing like two times a night." Okay, fine. Then uh, by your definition, I'm not. But you know, I like my life and I love my wife. So yeah, I don't. then fine, you know. Yeah,
0: and you don't want those things to suffer because of it. It's no of
1: things what my son, I've been
0: so, so busy, and then I was like, we're going to go see the Spider-Man movie, and I've been blowing him off about it, and then last night, it was super late, and I just, just could hear him up by himself, and he was just like, he just was oh, lonely, and I was like, what? Fuck it, I'm canceling these podcasts. Let's you know, I'm doing yours, but I'm canceling the one after it. And then I was like, Well, let's go to a movie, let's go hang out, let's keep this balance. Like, you're way more important than me going and doing these shows going and going doing these things. If you're not happy right now, let's go talk about it and see what's going on with you. Uh,
1: and very uncharacteristic of a stand up comic to listen. <laughs> 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 you're really stepping outside the zone on that one, listening to another person's needs. But that's where a lot of humor is though, you know?
0: Being a good listener being able to really respond to people, sometimes you can you find some really really good jokes, and, or you can really affect them just because they now know you were li- you were
1: listening to. So them. you're going to go see Spider Verse tonight after yeah. the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to see it. I'm blown away that Spider Ham is in the movie because somewhere, God, I don't know where it is, and I think it's in actually pretty good condition. I have my first issue of um, Spider Ham. There was an issue of Spider Ham with uh, Hulk Bunny and Captain America, mm-hmm. and I I feel like it was like maybe 1983 or so, uh, and so I mean. I, I was not aware that Spider-Ham was still a thing that, was, that was being done and so this uh, this delights me to no end oh the
0: whole thing is exciting I love that it's Mulaney that makes me happy that,
1: yeah that makes it even better yeah. but it's interesting that these animated films are kind of defining <laughs> characters in these genres where I mean listen uh, Spider-Man Homecoming was great you mm-hmm. know like th- there have been great Spider-Man movies there have been great Batman movies but the Lego Batman movie was very defining for Batman and it seems like Spider-Verse is going to be very defining for spider-man yeah. and spider-men and women alike uh, <laughs> depending on your multiverse Spider-Gwen, situation Spider-Gwen, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> that, um, that they're also you know defining these characters and, and that type of storytelling yeah i mean are.
0: that's uh, it makes sense these are you know these are comic books and animated th- items and and so it makes sense that they that that's the best way that they're able to um to really showcase these characters to me, but those those have been my favorite. Lego Batman is one of my favorite movies, and um, my favorite, my favorite DC movie is Teen Titans Go. It was so funny, so funny. I loved it, and it was one. Of the, I watched it with my son and my girlfriend and my buddy, and we we're all just sitting there laughing and and enjoying it. And I was just like, oh, why can't the live action movies be like this?
1: You're also your son's also lucky to have you because of all the stuff that you're into that I think allow you to bond in a way that maybe a lot of parents wouldn't necessarily have that skill set. Yeah, you we know? have a
0: lot of the same interests.
1: You do <laughs> have a lot of the same interests, you know. And and I'm sure that that has been I'm sure that has been very helpful for him um because you have a set of common languages that you can communicate through and you know and and it's just sort of the happy accident of like you just happen to be into this stuff you didn't have to learn to like these things and uh you know i think that's really i think he's really fortunate to have you in that way cuz i don't think a lot of parents with their first thought would be like let's go see spider into the spider verse you know yeah, like I oh know. my kid wants to see this movie i'll take my kid to see this movie but this is a movie that you would go to see alone mm-hmm. if you had to
0: yeah i saw the lego movie by myself <laughs> and then was like oh shit I got. I should have took my son. <laughs> I was like, Where are all these kids here? <laughs>
1: have you been in a Have you been in a movie or a public place and giggled and then people turn and they go, Oh my God, you're Ron Funches. Have you been identified by your laugh in public?
0: Um, very rarely. Usually, while things are out. You gotcha. know, like, so, like, when Trolls was first out, people would be like, oh, you're, you're that voice, or, or uh, um, so, usually in that, some, sometimes, yeah, more so than by looking at me, especially lately, because, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, I thought you were 100 pounds heavier.
1: <laughs> <laughs> And you feel healthier in general? Oh, so much healthier!
0: I'm loving it. Living weights, having fun. My doctor is like I'm a machine, so that makes me feel good. She's like you're gonna live forever unless something traumatic happens.
1: (laughs) Yes, these are things you can't control. You know, yeah, an airplane propeller could fly out of the sky and cut you in half. Yeah, don't know. But
0: other than that, yeah. But other than that, super healthy. I'm. I'm really trying to. um, I mean, I still. I'm like. I'm not obese. I'm still chubby and fat in some regards. So I'm trying to get down to um, just, and I, know, I know what you're going to say. It's about health and not about weight. Uh, but there's just about me getting older. And I'm like, okay, I might be able to handle being 225 or 230 now, but I don't think I want to carry that in my 40s and 50s. Right. So I would like to get down to 200. And so um, if things happen to swing 10 or 15 pounds,
1: it doesn't matter. And that's completely achievable because you're still young. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I started working out when I was 32 maybe, 33, because I had the same realization. I, I mean I, I had all sorts of – I had a really weak everything and so I had back problem. I was in a car accident when I was 17 and it, a piece of my back chipped. Mm. Um, and so I just – I had back problem. I had old person back problems and sciatic nerve problems all through my 20s. And so I was like, fuck, when I quit drinking, I was like, fuck, if if I'm like this now, how am I going to be at 50 or 60? So I better try to, you know, I better try to turn this aircraft carrier around <laughs> just kind of looking that far into the future. And I'm really glad I did because I didn't necessarily feel like. Now it's a race, you know. Yeah. I just felt like, oh, I can do it a little yeah. bit at a time, and it's comfortable, and I'm not, you know, yeah. not trying to win any competition. I'm just trying to be a little healthier, and and I'm really, you'll be in ten years, you'll be so glad that you did because you'll just be able to move better, and you won't you won't start calcifying in place, yeah. you know. Like yeah, it'll, it'll be good. I
0: just want to be. I mean, that's where I go like, oh, I look. I look at old pictures, and I'm like, wow, you look younger at 35 than you were at 30 for sure and I'm not saying that I'm not trying to continue to go younger but it's just like man you could be a pretty good looking 40 year old man (laughs) if you keep this up and by then the competition is going to be really weak
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and then when you get to forty five and then fifty, like yeah. if you can just kinda stay in the game even a little bit, it's a lot of the pack falls off exactly. by that point. You know? it's like, <laughs> all you gotta do, just like anything else, if you can just stay in the game a little bit, it's gonna be good for you. Yeah, I
0: mean that's the name of our whole careers, right? It'll, 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 it'll... You got to be in it to win it, and that's what I really love right now because I remember people talking about, oh, it used to be like at the comedy store, everybody's hanging out and the next, you know, somebody's on on Letterman or, or Carson and then their life changes, but it's not like that anymore. I'm like, how do you mean it's not like that anymore? I see it every week. I remember a couple years ago hanging around with Leslie Jones and her just being like, I can't get a road gig. I can't get anybody to book me. I you know I'm fucking struggling, and then Saturday Night Live, movies, everything's going on, and it's just like that's happening, like month after month, whether it's like Leslie Jones or, or or someone like Tiffany Haddish or, or or someone like Delia, where they're just popping off, and it's just like it's a magical time to be in comedy, and I love that. I'm in it at this time because I'm getting to watch really good people of all different types of backgrounds and all different types of styles. That's why I I really like is um, just that there's a lot. I mean, some some people doing the same things, but for the most part, everybody's just trying to really focus on being their best version of themselves. And I really like that.
1: So besides the obvious answer of like, to make an audience laugh, like, what what do you think a comedian's job is? Or what what do you like to see a, com- a comedian do on stage? What's your favorite thing about comedy?
0: Yeah, that's... I've been talking a lot about this recently. Um, I don't know what the job is. Like, I think the job the job because i don't want to put that type of limit on anyone like your 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 job might be to make people happy your job might be to to um talk truth to power or whatever like whatever you want to do that's not my job but um i feel personally my job is is to make people happy make people calmer make um just give them an oasis from their day if they're having a shitty day. It's my job to help them forget about that. I think that's the job of a comedian is is to be that jester. And sometimes being a jester means you are the one that's being made fun of. And sometimes that means you're making fun of the king. But overall, you're there to to provide mirth and merriment. And um my favorite type of comedy are people who um by the end of their set and it doesn't have to be autobiographical biographical you don't have to tell me everything about you but if by the end of your set i want to be friends with you or i feel that i know you a little bit more that's my favorite type of comedy i'm not really into to comedy where you're just trying to be witty for witty's sake or you're just trying to be um shocking for shocking's sake it's to me again i I can't a lot to wrestling where it's like Anybody can go out there and do a bunch of moves and flip all over the place. My favorite type of people can t- you can tell a story with what you're doing, you know, and I don't I don't want my story to be boring. I don't need you to be like, so at two in the afternoon I was doing this and my <laughs> aunt Carol did this to me. Can you believe that? But it's more like I I have a classic structure that I use to tell you things about me that hopefully by the end you you relate more to my experience in in there was even though I was very specific in what I was talking about, there's something universal that you took from it. That that's my favorite type of comedy is when at the end of the day, whether even someone like like Flula, who we're just talking about, who is doing like who is a German DJ. But <laughs> <laughs> I almost broke K Faith. Uh, <laughs>
1: who is a German DJ, but you still learn a lot about him. <laughs> I love, one of my favorite things was Flula on At Midnight. I didn't mean to talk about that show so much, but it just, it's like I haven't thought about it in a while. He used to get so mad when he wouldn't get eliminated. <laughs> so happy, I'd be like, I'd eliminate someone else, and he'd be like, "No, you have to eliminate me." <laughs> like, he never, the, like his his take on the show was so fucking great. Yeah, and that, like, watching someone who at the outset is like, okay, you know, like you said, here is this German DJ. But there's so much more of a story going on underneath. underneath there's so much more that he's not saying that he's saying by not saying that uh he's a fucking delight to watch yeah, Absolute
0: absolutely delight. absolutely, and then that's like so to me that's like one of the best examples of like you don't have to go out there and just get into your journal to really let me know who you are, even through through um just. Bits and pieces And and, and just small glimpses there's a, there's a lot Like you said There's a lot there That he's not saying
1: And I, I lo- that's what I love So rapid fire Real fast Just I want to kind of Get a sense of Like some of your Favorite things right now uh, favorite wrestlers right now Favorite wrestlers right now At this moment Are Stone Cold Steve Austin Because
0: I hung out with him <laughs> <laughs> and he was so nice He was so nice And he Because I thought he would just talk about wrestling And we did a pre-interview And he's like And I'm, I'm literally He talked to me when he did the interview He's like it seemed like you didn't want to talk to me I was like no 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 no. I, just, I didn't want to waste your time I didn't know if you're busy or something And he's I'm trying to get off the phone And he's just like Hey one, one more second man uh, I got a question are you uh, influenced by Mitch Hedberg? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Stone Cold Steve Austin? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, like that's that's the same thing when um, the first time CM Punk was on Talking Dead like years ago. I'm like, a wrestler? Are you sure? Is there going to be? And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really cool. And he comes on and it turns out He's one of the fucking nerdiest, like has a flux capacitor in his living room kind mm-hmm. of guys. Like, oh, okay, I get you know. Big here door. I was, I was totally buying into the that part of the kayfabe where it was like, they are all these like muscle head guys. No, no, no. A lot of them are just like nerds and mm-hmm. giant bodies. Yeah,
0: and then my other favorite who's actively wrestling right now is his name's Matt Riddle I love him he's the best um, he just got signed to NXT and he he used to wrestle out here in LA at PWG and a lot of things and he was really fun because he would just hang out in front of the venue and smoke bowls with <laughs> whoever was want to smoke bowls with him and then go wrestle. <laughs> I took my friend. I took my friend Gabe with me to go, and we're just smoking bowls with Matt and, and some other uh, his friends. And then we're watching the show. And then everybody, Matt's whole thing is that he's a bro, and so everybody just bro, bro, bro. And my friend looks at me and he's like, "What the fuck is this? What are they doing, bro?" And then he sees Matt come out and he goes,
1: "I smoked weed with like, that bro, bro." <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: he's just really cool He was a usc fighter like he's a legitimate badass but he's like also just super chill and and likes to hang out and um people really like him i think he's gonna be next big thing
1: every wrestling dude i've met has been awesome uh uh, punk john cena um dolph ziggler like like everyone they all seem to be just Super nice people who seem to be appreciative of what they get to do and actually really care about what they do and understand, you know, like – when someone really understands the community that they're a part of and the community of fans they all seem to understand like yeah we wouldn't be here if it weren't for the fans so yeah. that's what we are willing to destroy our bodies for yeah, and they know a lot about
0: entertainment you know live, they perform live in front of thousands of people all the time and it's a similar job where you're trying to get a reaction out of the audience and they're just doing it with their bodies instead of their, I mean often with their words but I do it with jokes and they do it with body slams but one of my closest friends in town is a wrestler named X-Pac and, and I can just talk to him about entertainment and talk to him about controlling an audience and, and getting the reaction that you want. And they are the some of the most intelligent people when it comes to knowing how to uh,
1: manipulate people. <laughs> 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 well, you also seem to display more obscure wrestling knowledge than anyone I've ever met that stuff would we'd show videos on on the show and you are—you would already know from the first frame, like, oh, this is what this video is, this is what it's from, and this is what's going to happen in the video.
0: Yeah, I love it when it was the guess what happened next. I'm like, I will tell you exactly what
1: happened <laughs> I do
0: not have to guess.
1: <laughs> That's Kenny Omega, and he is going to body slam that girl. <laughs> what was the one? I just saw one recently. I, t- I texted it to Joe Manganello and he immediately knew what it was. But it was this video of, of Randy Savage Pulling creamers out of thin air mm. during the, the interview. Cream of the
0: crop. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the cream rather than the top. Yeah. But they're fucking. <laughs> you know, he just saw them backstage and was like, oh, I got an idea.
1: But there's like. It, there, there, the thing that's so amazing about the video is that it's so incidental. It's not even. It's like he's not making it the focus of the thing It's just a by the way He's doing the sleight of hand And producing creamer after creamer (laughs) creamer it's the most fucking ridiculous thing i've ever ever seen on film before
0: i love it i mean most macho man things are very ridiculous when i was doing my get high watch wrestling show which was like mystery science theater with wrestling with with, with what xpoc um that's what we we knew like oh if we have a bad clip we just just follow it up with a macho man clip and that will that will kill because he he's fucking amazing just a great personality and really funny to watch him do just about anything.
1: Okay, so that, uh, two more things. Mm-hmm. Uh, video games, favorite video games right now? Favorite video games right now. Um,.
0: I was going to say Red Dead, but I want to say something that not everyone would say. Okay, okay, that's not me. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been playing a lot of Tetris Effect, which I really, really, really like. It's a great game to get stoned and play because it's, I don't know if you've ever played Luminous before. No. Uh, It's a music-based puzzle game that would use the music beat to clear, you know, normal four Type of columns, type of puzzle game. Yeah. But the musical track would clear them, and they kind of mix that with Tetris now, where you have like a regular, regular old school Tetris, but there's all these visuals and music and everything's falling to the beat, and you can play it in VR. It's really, really fun. Um, and they took like, if you didn't, te- it's like Tetris
1: but better. Okay, all right. So that, and then uh, movies, televisions, like what? What? I'm just trying to get all your pop culture likes at the moment. <sighs>
0: don't watch many movies i've been mean, talking about that with my girlfriend lately it's like she she'll name an actor and i'm like i don't know who that is i have no idea like i don't in any frame of reference unless they're a comedic actor mm-hmm. i don't have a frame of reference for it i love good c- comedies i love usually in- indie comedies and i haven't seen a really one that i've been interested in, in a while i heard people say game night is really good yeah but, game night's fun but i haven't seen it um Because usually I get mad because if I see a trailer for a comedy movie and it's just like two guys yelling and then some lady walking and then she gets hit in the head with something. I'm like, what (laughs) the? what the fuck is this <laughs> that's my impersonation of every comedy movie trailer that i've seen in the last three years is some lady going, huh Bang! and you're like why is that funny
1: and then two guys yelling at each other yeah
0: it's like that's not funny um so i think the last movie that i really really liked was teen Titans go that was the last one okay. I, I thought it was very well written really funny great lines um they hit a guy with a
1: car and they go, I think his dad's a cop. <laughs> pitch me, finally, pitch me the Ron Funches show. What is the Ron Funches show? Oh, it's easy.
0: It'll show about what my life would be like if I never got into comedy. Is Being a single father of a son with autism and having to go through that and the financial issues and, and the, the misunderstandings that come from having a kid with autism and just also him and how he changed my life around from being a, a, a a pothead child to being a responsible pothead man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: a pothead man. From a pothead child. And at the end, he becomes a pothead man. Yeah,
0: responsible. Yeah, so that's, that's the pitch
1: of that. <laughs> I can sell that show with you. I want to sell that show for you. Please. I want to sell that show for you. I, I see it happening. I think you're special. I'm excited to see your special, so please send it to me. Mm-hmm. It's Giggle Fit. And it comes out, I know, uh, if, if my brain is working properly, oh, yes, it's January is. 4th yeah, at look. 11 p.m. on mm-hmm. Comedy Central. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, it's just great to see you and catch up with you. And, you know, again, you were such a, an important fixture of, my, of that four years of my life. Oh. Uh, and I've so enjoyed just watching your comedy star continue to rise and so you know if there's ever anything i can do to help you in any way i'm at your disposal well you
0: already done more than enough um you really you really were a big help for me i mean like tv shows and stuff were fun and undateable with fun but overall like when i go out on the road still to this day people are like I miss that midnight. I miss you on that midnight. There's well, that
1: was all you. You you brought it. You know, like all we did was provide the platform, and you brought the funny stuff, and uh, and you made it work. So, you know, I just hope we get to do something together again, or we could just, I don't know, hang out sometime in mm-hmm. not a work environment thing. I don't Is that see weird? That Okay. Happen. No, you're right. that really happening. <laughs> Okay. uh, What if we don't go to lunch? What if we do a lunch podcast? Okay. Okay. That That is the weirdest
0: thing. I've been doing that so much. I would have my podcast. Emily. Emily Gordon was on it. Yeah. And I was like, I've known you for so long. We've had so many conversations. But I could not get. I could not have an hour conversation with you unless I booked you for a podcast. (laughs) And I love that. I love that people. I would rather never see my friends again and know that they're as successful as their wildest dreams than us being all hanging out and poor.
1: guess that's (laughs) but you but you look back and remember the poor times yeah like oh I did hang out with we we did it (laughs) yeah well you did it Ron Funches thank you so much for being here getting better is the podcast giggle fit is the comedy special and uh, hopefully we're gonna sell this show the Ron Funches show wherever it may land if you're a hungry network executive right now shoot us an email (laughs) and maybe we'll come podcast you <laughs> the end Oh Ron Funches I'm very excited Because you get to be The first signature In the brand new guest book Oh cool And it's a Zelda themed guest book I board. love it ID 10T scanning complete Enjoy your burrito